Hey, listening family, we have some exciting news. And we do have something exciting going on. We are going through a name change for our radio broadcast, and we're going to shift the name from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. And Walk in Truth is a name that I think helps capture the heartbeat of this ministry, help people to walk out the truth, to live out the truth, to walk by faith and not by sight. So we're going to stay the same. We're going to change from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. Today, Pastor Michael continues in Mark chapter 3 with part 2 of a message titled, The Demands and the Appointments. We have a wonderful sister in the congregation, and she's been helping out with a youth group, and she's a wonderful woman of God, and she wrote this note to the elders and pastors this last week. She said, I wanted to take a moment to share with you what I witnessed last night during the youth group worship night. By the way, when we get notes like this, this is usually when we get ready for a negative criticism. I want you to know what I saw and what you guys need to fix in the church. That's usually what follows, but that's not what this is about. She said, this may be a little winded, but I felt necessary to send to you. I know that most of you don't really know me or know my background. I will fill you in just a little about me and how I grew up because I feel it's relevant to this email. I was raised by what contemporary America calls a witch a white witch. I grew up with no father and a mother who prayed and chanted to the powers of the universe or the elements. There was never any mention of God in our home, ever. There were spirits in my house my entire life. Things moved around. Chairs were turned upside down. Lights off and on. Psychics and psychic readings, tarot cards, etc. This was my daily normal. However, for me, I always knew something was wrong with this. When my mother would have would have chanting parties, that's what I called them, I would hide away in my room, knowing bad feelings were going to be coming soon. As a child and young teenager, I never felt like I was part of anything at all, or that I fit. I didn't fit in with my mom and her beliefs or my siblings. I had no one to talk to me about truth, which, is, which in turn led to a lot more heartache that is not necessary for this email. Anyway, this may be why I have such a heart for the youth and young adults, I don't know, but, but why I am telling you this is because last night during worship, I was brought to tears. Not only was I brought to tears, but a piece of me, that little girl, was healed a little last night as well. And I need to say thank you. She addresses Pastor Brian, our youth pastor. You may or may not know the impact that you had last night with the youth, but I do. I witnessed it. I watched the Lord move through a tiny room and touch kids in a mighty way. And in turn, they were reaching out to the person next to them. I stood in the back of the room and was able to witness these kids come together all in the name of Jesus. I watched them pray together. I watched them cry. I watched them walk across the room to someone who was sitting alone. And I watched them reach out a hand to that person and pray for them. I watched as Shane was able to keep the worship active and alive in a way that urged these kids to keep encouraging, keep praising, and keep loving I stood there in tears as this was happening. These kids you are teaching and learning the love, uh, the love of the Lord at the most important age, you are that vessel that God is using to do that. It was absolutely beautiful, and I am honored that I was able to witness it. I think at times people forget to tell people when they witness something beautiful. I felt it necessary to let my church pastors know what I witnessed last night. And what an amazing work goes on upstairs, close quote. That's pretty cool, isn't it? 
This is what, if you step back from this scene and took a look, this is the kind of email you might write. Maybe you'd write this email to Mary, (laughs) the mother of Jesus. Maybe you'd write an email and say, I want you to know what I witnessed, what your son was doing. How many people were touched? What a crazy scene he had to deal with. And how majestically and beautifully and wonderfully he handled it all. Wherever Jesus was and all the beauty that he was doing, it seemed that the demonic was not far away. People pressed in just to try and touch him, him, but amidst that was always the devil working. It seems like wherever God is working, the devil is not far away. James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. The word for shudder is a Greek word which literally means to bristle like a frightened cat. In the early uh, chapters of the Gospel of Mark, the only ones that are identifying Jesus as the Son of God, sadly and ironically, are the demons. And the fact that they believe God is one is from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The demons are orthodox in their theology. They're the ones coming up, and it's probably a vain attempt to gain mastery over him, and here's how this works. What they would do in the ancient world is they thought if they called somebody by their name, they could gain mastery over them, but they couldn't gain mastery over Jesus. He would tell them, be quiet. I don't need your endorsement. Sometimes when you read your Bible, you wonder, well, why does Jesus try to shut things like this down? Because he doesn't need the devil's endorsement. His miracles already testify to who he is. Would to God that other people there started to put it together, even when the demon said it and said, hmm, maybe he is the son of God. But so many people just enthralled with their own personal needs and personal agendas could not see what even the demons could see. And he earnestly, verse 12, warned them not to make him known. A wild scene. You see, Jesus Christ knows what all of us go through. Now, look at verse 13, the text transitions. It says, and he went up to the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. Now, amidst all this pressure, all that's going on, and I think from the other gospels, we might get the idea that he went up to the mountain, prayed, and came back and dealt with the crowds. Went up to the mountain and came back and dealt with the crowds. And here's principle number one, application point number one. It's this, and I've already given you a first point by asking God to widen your heart to love him and love others, but here's an application point. Sometimes, oftentimes, it's okay to get away. It's okay to get away. Some of you need to hear that about 10 times until you'll accept it. How many of you have ever gone on a vacation and the first two to three days of that vacation, you don't know what to do with yourself? Because you're so used to dealing with all your devices. I gotta, I gotta call him back. I gotta do that. And then you realize, wait a minute, I'm on vacation. <laughs> should, I, should I call the, op- no, 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 no. Should I check on the kids? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> They'll be fine. Jesus went up to the mountain. It's okay to get away. You've got to allow yourself a time to rest and recuperate. Amen? 
You've got to allow yourself times when you just find a respite. But it's not just about getting away. Go to Luke 6. This is the parallel account. Luke chapter 6. Look at verse 11. Luke 6, 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right after the verse 10 says he restored the hand of the the man with the withered hand. Luke 6, 11 says, but they themselves were filled with rage and disgust together how, what they might do to Jesus. And it was at this time, Luke 6, 12, that he, Jesus, went off to the mountain to do what? To pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. When you get away, it's important to get away, but it's also important to get away and pray. And I'm not saying that you have to pray the entire time you get away, but I'm saying it is important for you to get away and seek the face of God. Some people in the Christian church have questions. They read their Bibles and they say, hey, if God knows a thought before I think it and a word before I speak it and he knows my needs before I pray about them, why bother to pray? Because when you pray, you engage yourself with heaven. You have a time where you seek God's face. You see, maybe the reason God instructs us to pray more than anything else, please hear this well, is because God knows how much you need to pray. You see, prayer's not so much for him. I don't know if you've gotten this yet. (laughs) You see, he does not need to be informed on current events. You don't need to bring him up to speed. Lord, I'm not sure if you know what's going on over there, but just in case you're missing a few details today, let me go ahead and fill you in. You ever pray with somebody and you're like, hello, he understands, he's running the universe. Get to the point. (laughs) You see, prayer has a lot to do with you. You and I need to pray. We need to. Because it kind of resets my compass. You know what I'm saying? Now, God honors prayers, and he uses prayer as a means to his ends, no doubt, and some of that is a mystery. But the Son of God prayed. In fact, Luke 6, 12 says, in the face of mounting danger and pressure, he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer. This comes on the heels of him choosing the apostles when day came, Luke 6, 13. He called his, his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. The list of names uh, will come to in Mark, but skip ahead to verse 17. It says, and he descended with them and stood on a level place. And there was a great multitude of his disciples, a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him, to hear him preach as well, and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the multitude were trying to touch him for power was coming from him and healing them all. Wow. This was like a, he came down from the mountain and a power flow was going out of him and people were being touched left and right and spirits were going out of people and people were being healed and lepers were being transformed. Can you imagine? I pray that there is a viewing room in heaven 
I want to see actual footage. And I believe we may get to do that. To, to get to see this all recounted would be quite something. Up to the mountain he goes. Persevering energy he gets in prayer. And he comes back down. And Luke tells us he begins to preach. He says, turning his gaze on his disciples, verse 20, he began to say, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. This is called the Sermon on the Plain, or the Sermon on the Level. It's Mike Massaro, and you're listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. And we'll get back to the teaching in about 30 seconds. But I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available. It's Pastor Michael's book, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's about spiritual warfare, how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The special offer is, if you go to livingtruthradio.org, that's livingtruthradio.org, and click on the donate button, for any donation, we'll send you a copy of that book. Just make sure you tell us in the contact form that you'd like the book. Now, back to Pastor Michael. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. Now, this is after he's done all these incredible miracles. Can you imagine the thrill of people, how open they must have been to hear what he had to say? For you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and cast insults at you and spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Would you turn back to Mark chapter 3? It's okay to get away, and when you get away, pray. Maybe it's going to be meditating on a single Bible verse that someone sent you by text, or maybe it's going to be a small portion that you have read, and you just think about the goodness of God. That's what biblical meditation is, by the way. It doesn't mean to stare at your navel for two hours and make groaning noises. That will do nothing for you except bear out that you have lint in your navel, Biblical meditation (laughs) means to meditate on God and his word. And when you do that, your perspective changes. Have you ever noticed that when you pray and then you come down to do ministry, your heart changes? Have you noticed that you can come into worship, maybe you cut off a few people in the parking lot, or maybe maybe you had to park way down there. Anybody? Hand up. You have to park way down there. And you're walking up to church and you're like, you know, this is... This is how I walk. I got a problem with parking situation. Come on. <laughs> then you come into church. I surrender. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That was me this morning, by the way. I was <laughs> For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Would you look at Mark 3? And notice that Jesus goes up to the mountain. I was reading a wonderful commentary by William Lane this week, and William Lane is talking about how the mountain is the locus, the significant spot for revelation and summoning. Think about it. Moses was summoned to the mountain where he received what? The Ten Commandments of God. And that mountain was filled with fire. And it says that they camped at the base of the mountain in the third month, which, by the way, the law was given at the Feast of Pentecost. That's when it happened. 
That's when it happened for Israel, 50 days after the Passover. Go back and read Exodus chapter 19. And at the Feast of Pentecost in the book of Acts in chapter two, 3,000 people get saved and 3,000 people died at Sinai and 3,000 people got saved at Pentecost. Here's the deal. The mountain becomes a place where you meet God. It's a place where you go up on the hill and you receive the revelation, if you will, and you come down to the mission. And in Moses' case, he got the law. He's up there 40 days and 40 nights. He's been fasting. He's got the law written with the finger of God and he goes down to his people. And oh my goodness. And God says, your people whom you led out of the land of Egypt, (laughs) they are defiling themselves. They got the golden calf and they're dancing around. How many of you have, you go up to the retreat, you go up to the mountains for a retreat. Oh, you meet God up there. It's wonderful, beautiful. You're up there in, you know, creation and you spend extra time in prayer and Bible study and then you come back down the mountain and you come home and people are not on the same page. (laughs) And Moses took the law, do you remember? And he threw it down. And it broke, and in essence, it was symbolic. They had broken all the Ten Commandments, and Moses broke it, and it was not an easy time. You see, up to the mountain is the place of revelation. Go back and read Exodus 19 later, and you'll see that wonderful picture. Jesus went up to the mountainside, verse 13, Mark 3, called to him, to those whom he wanted, and they came to him. This is the beauty of the scene, the place where you get your calling, if you will, An important moment for the apostles. Jesus had prayed all night. The third application. It's okay to go away, number one. It's okay, and you need to go away and pray. Application number three. Need help. Jesus, at this moment in his ministry, think about it, is when he officially calls the 12. In essence, he's saying, will you share ministry with me? There's huge numbers here. There's a big group here, and I need you guys to start to carry out the gospel work. It's too much. Now, Jesus could handle it all, no doubt. He's God, but he also was doing something with them. They were in training because they were gonna take the gospel and he's going back to heaven. Third application point for us is we all need help. We need to share ministry. This is what the ministry fair is about today. It's so that you can understand what's going on in this fellowship. There's gonna be about 25 ministries represented out there. And most of those ministries are worked by volunteers in this fellowship. It's what makes ministry happen. I can't reach every person. I can't talk to every person. This is where we need the body. And he calls his apostles, apostolos, the Greek word. It means delegated authority, but it has the idea of an ambassador, one who's commissioned, one who's sent out with orders. He chose the 12. The 12 is a number interesting because 12 is the number of tribes for Israel. And Jesus said, I've sent, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And he looked upon the crowds, Matthew 9, and he had compassion for them because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, right? He said, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. It'll send out more workers into his harvest field. And then chapter 10 in Matthew says, he summoned the 12 and he sent them out. Go back to Matthew 10. Just peek at it for a second. You'll see how it ends and how it fits with our scene. Jesus, Matthew 9.35, Matthew 9.35 was going about all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He was healing every kind of disease, every kind of sickness, Matthew Matthew 9.36. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them. 
because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech, Matthew 9, 38, the Lord of the harvest, that's what God is, he's the God of the harvest, to send out workers into his harvest. Keep reading chapter 10, verse 1, and having summoned his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax gatherer. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot. In every list of the apostles, Peter's always named first. Judas is always named last. Interestingly enough, the list starts with the one who denied him and ends with the one who betrayed him. But Peter did many great things we know as well. These 12, verse 5, Matthew 10, Jesus sent out after instructing them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go where? To the lost sheep, I think that's who he's talking about as he looks over people like sheep without a shepherd, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach and say to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, what's the Bible say? Freely give. You've received so much, you've watched me do it, now you're gonna go do it. Back to Mark 3 and we'll finish it up. He gave them authority, verse 15, Mark 3, to cast out demons. Some of you look at this kind of stuff and you're like, wow, does this really happen? You might want to ask some missionaries or some people who have dealt with this kind of area and you will hear stories of things like this happening even today. One writer says insightfully though, exorcism in this context is not just about individual spiritual liberation, although it is that. It is about setting the world of institutions and structures free also from injustice, from cruelty, from neglect, from extortion, corruption and greed, from the lesser gods of profit at all cost and besting down the rest of the people, whatever it takes. It is to take all that is dominated by the the God of this age and can and should be confronted by the light of the gospel so that more people can be set free. Are you with me? The church goes out, and Jesus says, the gates of Hades will not prevail against my church. We go out and confront a world where people are abused and broken, and we bring them the love of Christ just like is on display here before us. When they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Jesus wanted them with him, Acts 4.13 is what I just read, and he wanted them to make an impact, shared ministry. And he appointed 12. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. The name Peter means rock, and uh, that's in the Old Testament, they would often give surnames, which would confer a promise, and it would also designate an appointment to a special task. You see, when the name was given from Simon to Peter, it's what was ahead of Peter that the Lord was looking at. And when Joshua's name is changed by Moses from Hosea to Joshua, Hosea means salvation. Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. And Joshua would lead the people where? Into the promised land. And so the change of name took very much significance. And there's Peter, first in the list. Simon, whom he, Jesus, gave the name Peter. There's James, the son of Zebedee. And John, the brother of James, to them he gave the name 
Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. These dudes went into the village and the village didn't pay much attention to Jesus' preaching and they said, Lord, should we call fire down from heaven and burn the place up? What do you think, Lord? I think that's probably why they got the name Sons of Thunder, James and John. Maybe they went to several cities and every time a city was not open to the gospel, they said, Lord, how about some thunder and lightning? (laughs) We know you can do it. Come on, just one village. We just want to see one village go up in smoke. And Jesus is like... Boys, calm down. I came here to save people's lives, not to destroy them. All right, Lord. Sheesh. And then John becomes known as the, the, the apostle of love. What a change. Each of these men were changed by the Lord forever. Andrew and Philip, 18, Bartholomew. Sometimes there's variations in the, in the list because the, the men went by different names. Matthew, who's known as Levi and Mark, then there, uh, earlier in Mark, then there's Thomas, his Aramaic meaning means the twin. There's James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and finally Judas Iscariot, would you note, who also betrayed him. I'm sure we have people out in our listening family that, are, that have probably thought, what special gifts do I have? How can I be utilized? What can you do to encourage them? What can you tell them to encourage them that they are special? Well, that's where I would start, that um, if you're a child of God, you are special. And even if you're not a Christian right now, you know, God so loved you that he gave his only son. That That is special. That, that is a special love. So I think your identity in Jesus Christ um, is something that we all always need to muse on and, and consider, because that's just a great honor to be adopted into God's family. And then every part of the body is vital. You know, when Paul uses uh, the metaphor of the body in 1 Corinthians 12, for example, he says the parts that you don't see are actually the parts that are m- the most important. I heard Alistair Begg, uh, it was several months ago, Oscar, and he was talking about how we pay so much attention to the outside of the body, our face, our hair, how we look. But he said, you know, if we lost an ear, you know, part of our ear is missing or you know, something happened, you know, we burned a part of our face or we go, you know, we lose hair or whatever. Um, we can still function, but if one of our internal organs goes awry, the, the organs that we don't see, um, we're probably in deep trouble or we could potentially be in deep trouble. And and he was drawing the analogy of saying, we pay much, so much attention to the outside, but the inside parts of our body are really the ones that are critical. Yeah, that's true. And so people who are in what we might call unseen ministries behind the scenes, not in a pulpit, not the main teacher at a Bible study, not a worship leader, whatever, their vitality, their their criticalness to the body is revealed in scripture. And so it may not always feel that way, but I would just say, Get to know what your gift is, whether it's mercy or hospitality. You know, people who have gifts of mercy, there are a lot of things that they do that we, we can't do or we don't do because we don't have that gift. And that gift is very valuable. It's just as valuable as any other gift because it glorifies the head. Use that gift for the glory of the head. That's, that's what you're going to be uh, held responsible for. And that's the great privilege and honor, no matter what that gift may be. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.